Welcome back to Tech Enabled, an AI podcast on technology, public policy, and economic opportunity. I'm your host, John Bailey. There's a growing body of research suggesting that geography matters for economic policy and an individual's chance to climb up the economic ladder. For example, Raj Chetty's research shows that where a child grows up has major consequences for their upward economic mobility over the course of their life. And the Economic Innovation Group has a Distressed Communities Index, which has revealed places that are still struggling to recover more than 10 years after the last economic recovery began. And as we're seeing with COVID-19, some places have been hit harder than others with infections and the resulting economic fallout. National trends are important, but sometimes local trends are more important. Understanding these and other trends is critical to shaping policy, particularly with strengthening local economies and communities. Fortunately, leaders have access to a powerful set of tools to help with their work. Today, we're going to learn more about an interactive mapping tool called Policy Map that helps leaders to quickly visualize and understand the trends within their communities. Data can reveal racial and economic disparities, identify areas lacking essential services, and help with planning where to deploy various resources and supports. What's staggering about Policy Map is the amount of available data, over 50,000 different indicators. To give you a sense of the breadth, Policy Map has data on population, race, ethnicity, age, gender, income, poverty, federal tax returns, economic mobility, home values, rental units, school enrollments, educational attainment, and more. And you can layer this on top of one another, along with other types of designations, such as the Federal Opportunity Zone Program. We are joined this week by Maggie McCullough, the founder and CEO of Policy Map. Maggie has a degree in economics from St. Joseph's University and a master's in governmental administration from the University of Pennsylvania. I am so excited to welcome Maggie to our show today. I am such a fanboy of this tool, Policy Map, that Maggie runs. And so, Maggie, tell us a little bit what is Policy Map? Like, I know why I'm excited about it, but introduce all of our listeners to what Policy Map is. Okay, great. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me and giving me the opportunity to talk about Policy Map. So, Policy Map is a web based mapping application. And the main purpose of it was to give policymakers who are not necessarily GIS or data technicians the ability to use data as they make public policy decisions. And those public policy decisions are place-related, right? So in a world of scarce resources, they need to be able to think strategically about where they can target resources to have the greatest impact. And so with Policy Map, we made a platform where we took as much public data as we could get our hands on. There's now about 50,000 indicators in Policy Map. So these are public data sets. This is coming from Census. It's coming from the FBI. It's coming from the IRS. It's coming from the CDC, in many cases, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Curating that data, normalizing it, and putting it all into a single platform so that the data can talk to each other, people can visualize it on a map, They can overlay that data on top of each other on a map and conduct some analytics. So in addition to the public data that we curate, we also license data from private entities where there's no public data set available. We will license that. And we have started in the last couple of years to create our own data to supplement both the public data and the proprietary data that's out there. That's incredible. 50,000. What are some examples of some of the data that you you have that people can analyze? So there's going to be the basic demographics, right? So what the population is comprised of in a community, the age, the race, the age of the housing. There's information on mortgage applications, mortgage denials, how those things have trended over time. 
We do our best to put as much historical data into the platform as possible so you can look at trends over time. IRS data has very interesting information about where people are contributing to an IRA or contributing to a 401k or what their wages are. Is the income that they take home coming from wages or is it from social security or disability? It really gives you a sense of all the different factors that are at play in a community. Home sale prices, we get data from Zillow that we process and release census tract level home sale data, vacancy data. So where you both have residential vacant properties and where you have commercial vacant properties are in policy map, jobs, unemployment, and most recently, a lot of health data, right? So the CDC has put out a lot of the health information and we've done some very small area estimates on the health conditions of people that live in different neighborhoods that I think has been particularly helpful in the current COVID-19 world. Yeah, absolutely. Can someone upload their own data into this and add it as a layer to your other data? Yes, definitely. So we will find government agencies who, for example, will upload where they have properties that they own in a land bank. And as they strategically start to think about how they want to dispose of that property, they can look at the markets in which those properties sit and say, you know, they have properties, we really just need to sell at market rate. It's sitting in a market where these properties will help the city generate revenue and we can sell these at market rate. These others we need to group into some sort of package for and put up for sale for a developer, right? So yes, you can upload your own address level data and then see all of that underlying information that we already have in Policy Map at the ready. You can see that information underneath your own data. Just amazing. I mean, so that, that's a great example of how policymakers could use this as a data-driven decision-making tool. But what are some other examples of ways that community leaders or a mayor could use this? You know, two of the most recent examples that we've had that I think are really interesting is we've had officials in Florida use policy map to identify where they want to set up COVID-19 testing sites because they wanted to ensure that they were setting up testing sites in areas where people didn't have a car, where there were pockets of vulnerable populations. And so they wanted to ensure that those people had easy access to get testing. In Virginia, Virginia Department of Emergency Management is concerned about distributing PPE, protective gear for people and workers equitably so that there aren't just a fixed number of hospitals or a fixed number of communities that get those materials. They want to make sure that they're equitably distributed to places which may be hit hardest by COVID-19 and vulnerable populations. So these are the kinds of the more recent things that we're seeing. Historically, we've seen cities and states use policy map for grant applications, which is but an interesting use case. So Rhode Island Housing applied to HUD and got $8.5 million for a lead abatement program. And they used policy map to identify the communities in Rhode Island that had the highest risk of families who were exposed to lead. And using that data, they were really quickly able to put together this application and receive that grant funding. So I think it serves as a tool to both make a case to whether you're a local government and you need to make a case to your Congress people about you know, what's going on in your city and the funding that you need to help drive impactful change, or you're trying to strategically figure out 
where affordable housing development might make most sense, the tool can be used. It's being used for all of those different kinds of applications. So amazing. I first was introduced to Policy Map because of work I was doing with Opportunity Zones. And obviously, Opportunity Zones are heavily place-based. It's identifying distressed communities. And then the governor nominated and designated these areas as Opportunity Zones. So we have 8,500 Opportunity Zones around the country. What are some ways that you're seeing policymakers or community leaders using the tool to better understand the underlying trends inside of their Opportunity Zones? So I think what we've first started to see is the way that people targeted, right? So as you say, there's a lot of census tracts that are eligible for Opportunity Zone investment. So how do you narrow down all of those tracts into the set of tracts where you want to make an investment because you have a desired impact that you want to achieve, right? So if the end goal of the Opportunity Zone program is to target investment in places where potentially you can address a social problem, right? That was part of the goal of the, of the program. You could take, for example, we've seen people overlay opportunity zones with areas that lack access to like a full service grocery store. So these are places that have to drive a long distance to get to a grocery store. So as an investor or as a city, you could say, we really want to encourage Opportunity zone investment in areas that are food deserts. And with Policy Map, you can identify where those two places intersect and then put on top all of the grocery retail locations that exist. So it may be like a small bodega, it might be a small corner store. Maybe they need an investment to expand and provide a greater variety of services to the neighborhood. Or maybe the city could help to draw in a large grocery retailer into one of those areas. So it's an opportunity zone eligible area and it's a food desert. And so if that's the impact that you want to have, which is increased food access for people, you can do both of those things. Another is small business investment. A lot of folks in the opportunity zone space have wanted to help small businesses. So you could look at an area that's a opportunity zone eligible and has a high social need index. And the social need index is something that was created by New Localism Advisors, which is run by Bruce Katz Katz, um, and my good friend and deceased Jeremy Nowak. But it was an index that looks at all of the factors of income inequality, housing cost burdens, unemployment, and says on a scale of one to 10, how in need is this community? So if you look at all the Opportunity Zone areas, and narrow it down to say, okay, these are all the opportunity zone areas in place. These are also then the ones that meet the second condition, which is that they have a high social need. Then say, where do we also have a high percentages of small businesses who maybe have been around for four or five years? So these are, these are relatively stable businesses, but they're small. They don't have that many employees. And so that may be a place where a city may say, That's where we want to encourage Opportunity Zone investment because the impact we want to have is to help small businesses in our community grow, right? So having all that information in one platform, layer it, and really take a sea of Opportunity Zone places and narrow it down to like the seven Opportunity Zone census tracts where investment, you believe, will have the greatest impact. Well, it's easy to do in a platform like PolicyMap. It's so fantastic. I love too that you have 
what I understand to be the first map in the country that has internet access down to the neighborhood level. And in many ways, COVID-19 has just shown a bright spotlight on disparities of those who have access to the internet and those who don't, those who are connected and those who aren't, in part because if you're not connected to the internet, it's impossible to participate in remote learning, telework, telemedicine, or access the online services to get government benefits. So what are some of the trends that you saw once you were able to sort of map at such a granular level internet access? So I think what was most shocking to us was when we mapped it, we did expect to see rural areas that didn't have internet access. And that was something we'd all kind of knew about. But there are a lot of places in cities where you have neighborhoods where over 60% of households do not have access to the internet. And I think that was one of the more shocking things for us to notice. If you look at a place like New Orleans, there are pockets all over New Orleans where more than 60% of people do not have access to the internet. And as you said, the implications are great because at this moment in time, those are people that cannot access telemedicine. They can't do learning from home with their kids. If they had the ability to work from home, not having access to the internet is not going to be a possibility. And, you know, the biggest crises that we've seen is that those neighborhoods also tend to be the lower income, high minority communities. And they're also tending in the COVID crisis to be the most vulnerable communities. The problems compound on themselves. So our hope is that having access to that kind of information can help policymakers think strategically about the kinds of interventions their communities need in order to allow residents to succeed, right? And so being able to succeed right now, in particular, more now than ever, people need an internet connection. So policymakers need to think about how can we ensure that these households have a connection to the internet. And it's also problematic because when we look at that in combination with households who do not actually have a computer at home, and we've seen a lot of stories about how public schools are trying to distribute Chromebooks or laptops to students at this time, you know, other communities that have access to the internet, but the kids don't have a computer at home. So it's a problem. And again, the hope is by exposing some of this on policy map, it gives policymakers data, right? So that they can make data informed decisions in a world of scarce resources about where they need to target those resources. So it's a great, amazing in terms of being able to use this within a COVID setting of identifying vulnerable populations. And as you were just saying, people who may lack access to basic services, whether it's internet or access to food. As governors and as mayors begin the transition now to not just managing the health crisis, but also managing the economic crisis as we're going into a recovery sort of mode, like what are ways that state and local policymakers can use PolicyMap to help spur their economic development, make sure that it's inclusive economic development and growth and help with accelerating their recovery? What are some ways that they can use your tools for that? So we will see in the coming months, local unemployment data come out. One of the problems always with federal data is that many times it it lags a little bit. So right now we're seeing really distressing unemployment numbers for the nation and sometimes for states, but it's not getting down to a more local level. That doesn't get released until a few months after the fact. So we'll start to see that in June, in July. So if you're a mayor of a city and you can start to see where you have pockets 
of higher unemployment, you can think about strategies for those particular areas, potentially first. You could look at which industries have been affected the hardest and think about whether it's tax incentives for particular industries. Because every city is different. Every neighborhood's different. You know, every city relies on, some rely on healthcare, some rely on manufacturing, some rely on, on high tech. Some, you, know, you can see what in your area have been affected the most and what kind of interventions might be necessary. So I think there's definitely the unemployment and economic conditions that they can look at. The other is it sort of remains to be seen, given the high unemployment that we're hearing about throughout the country, what kind of impact that's going to have on people's ability to make mortgage payments and pay their rent. And so with mortgage payments in 2008, we saw such a huge rise in foreclosures. It's like, are we going to see anything like that again? And I think for government officials to be able to keep track of foreclosures in their area and see how it's trending, to think about interventions on that front will be really powerful too. And then planning for education, right? So if we think about recovery and getting schools back to some sense of normalcy, you know, everyone's unsure what's going to happen in the fall. So let's say we're still working in this kind of environment come the fall. I have no idea. Nobody has a crystal ball, but right, like, let's say that that happens. And let's say that schools need to continue to educate from home in the fall. Well, now's the time to think about that because that will help with the recovery. If students can have some sort of normalcy, even learning from home. So let's think about those computers. Let's think about internet access. Where is it most needed so that there can be equitable education throughout the country, right? So those are the three things, I think. The economic, employment, housing, and education would be the three areas where I could see. And we're going to think about additional data sets that can help policymakers and local leaders answer those questions. Just amazing. I am just so grateful to you just for the service you're providing, community leaders and state and local leaders, but also for taking the time to join us today. So thank you so much. I appreciate all the work that you're doing. Thank you very much.